On your Thursday episode of Locked on Raptors, we open up the mailbag. You, the listeners, have asked some questions. I am going to answer them as best I can. We've got questions about Emmanuel Quickly's RFA status. We've got questions about whether it's better to be an all-offense, no-defense team, or a team with a little balance. All that and so much more coming up on today's show. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours! We're going to the bridge of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here! going on and welcome to another episode of Lockdown Raptors, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Thursday, January the 25th, and I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for 10 seasons on various platforms. You can follow my work over on the website that don't work so good, at Woodley Sean. You can find the show on Instagram at Lockdown Raptors, and of course, you can join us over on the Lockdown Raptors Discord server. The link is in the description. Come hang out with little sickos just like you who love the podcast and want to talk about the Raptors all the live long day. Pretty good alternative to like answering work emails, I would say. If you want to come and procrastinate away, please come and do so in the Lockdown Raptors Discord server. Again, free to join. Link in the description. Of course, you can find the show for free wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Always appreciated when you do that. It's also appreciated when you go to the YouTube channel and subscribe over there. You can also hit the notification bell. And when you do that, you'll get a heads up every single time the show is premiering over on YouTube. Or maybe I'm going live to react to a big trade. Whatever it is, you'll be in the know when the show is going live so you never miss it right when it's fresh and hot off the presses or the editing machine or I don't know what doesn't come off the presses. Whatever it comes off of, it's hot and piping and ready for you to gobble up like the little content piggies. I know you all are. Okay. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code all lowercase locked at NBA for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars and let's get rolling here on a mailbag edition of the show we were going to do a mailbag show last wednesday and then a franchise icon got traded last wednesday and so we did not really get to work in much of a mailbag we've got a couple questions in on the wednesday morning after the shams report but you know we got a lot of backlog to get through and we are going to make our way through that backlog today. Reminder, to get questions answered to the podcast, Discord's the place to be. We got a mailbag chat in there. I did, however, because I was feeling charitable, open it up to the Twitter people as well. And I got a few good questions, especially from a dear old pal who has been missing from the mailbags of late because he has yet to join the Discord. I'm talking to you, Freddie. We'll get into all that. We got questions about the rebuild. When will it end? We got questions about... Uh, offense versus defense, and so much more. I want to begin here, though. A question came in from our pal Cause in the Discord, asking, with Emmanuel quickly an RFA this offseason and the Fred Van Vliet departure only six months old, what is the annual amount a team would have to offer IQ that would make you want to walk away from the table if you're Masai Ujiri? Is there one? A team like the Spurs could, in theory, be very aggressive, similar to how the Rockets were, when they threw the bag over to the Houston Rockets. Let's kind of get in here. Look, I'm not one for restricted free agency fear-mongering, I guess is my first response to this question. Uh, And I'm not 
really at all worried about Emmanuel Quickly's restricted free agency. The same reasons why it might be damaging for the Toronto Raptors to pay $40 million to Emmanuel Quickly are the exact same reasons why it would be disadvantageous for a team like the Spurs to pay $40 million or something like that for Emmanuel Quickly. And I just don't think the RFA boogeyman is all that much of a thing. We get maybe one offer sheet every like two or three off seasons, and they almost always get matched. And I, I just don't see there being a world in which a team comes out of the woodwork when it's very clear the Raptors traded for Emmanuel quickly with the intention to keep Emmanuel quickly, build around Emmanuel quickly. I don't think it'll be worth the squeeze, frankly worth doing all of the paperwork that goes into making an offer sheet to a guy like quickly to hopefully lure him. Also, you know, quickly has agency in this as well. Yes, he's a restricted free agent, but like he doesn't got to sign an offer sheet. And if the Toronto Raptors have traded for him and put a bunch of belief into him, spent the whole season or the last half of the season kind of building this thing around him, Scotty Barnes and RJ Barrett. I can't imagine quickly is going to be eager to go jump to a terrible team with lots of cap space either. Like I'm not worried about the Pistons and the Spurs and those types of teams. I know the Wemby allure is a thing, but I just, I don't think the Spurs are going to go to a point where the Raptors will be like, no, we're not comfortable keeping this guy. We very clearly traded one of our most beloved pieces of all time for. Um, so, you know, I think it would have to be something like $40 million a year, some kind of very toxic contract. And I've said this before, I think there's a very real chance that whatever Emmanuel Quickly's next contract is, he delivers something approaching max value on that contract. He's not going to earn a max contract because RFA suppresses players' markets and makes it so they probably don't earn what they should on their second deals when they're in this sort of tier of player where they're not super max or rookie max extension guys, but they're not, you know, bad players. They're clearly good with let plenty of room to grow. I think there's a very real chance that quickly delivers max production on his next deal. So even if you have to go to 35 mil a year to keep him, I think you do that. Maybe you hold your nose a little bit, but I have no problem with it if that's what it costs. I just don't think that's what it's going to cost. I think the RFA boogeyman is this thing that we sort of tell kids about to keep them well behaved, but it actually never really comes around to bite you. So yeah, again, 40 million is probably the number, but I just don't think that's even a realistic thing to entertain for either team because the second apron's a thing for everybody. Every team is going to be under the financial stress that the new CBA is bringing into the NBA, and they're going to be just as disincentivized to overpay for players as the Toronto Raptors would be. So not worried. One iota, frankly, about Emmanuel quickly and his his offseason and his restricted free agency. What he earns, we'll see. Obviously, it depends how the season closes. It's been a bit of a rough go for him on the offensive end, at least in the shooting and scoring department. The playmaking has still been incredible. Um, I, I still feel like you're pretty confident paying him whatever it's going to take. My guess right now is probably like 25 mil, something like that. And I think that would be totally fine. And again, probably turns into a very, very surplus value contract, very team friendly Sucks for quickly that he can't make more money on his next deal because of the market factors, but it's the way she goes, I suppose. We'll come back on the other side, and we are going to continue on with this mailbag episode of the pod. we got lots of good stuff again. Uh, we're going to go back into the vault and think of role players who would fit on this Toronto Raptors team. Again, offense versus defense. How long is this rebuild, retool, recentering thing going to take? We'll examine all of those very, very interesting questions sent in by you, the lovely listeners, coming up. 
as we carry on here on your Thursday episode of the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, a new sponsor here on the podcast. And here's the deal. When it comes to writing, Grammarly is there to support you from start to finish. Everyone's got to do some writing in their job. If you work an office job, whether it's emails, whether it's PR documents, whether it's podcast descriptions every single day, for over 10 years, Grammarly has been powered by AI technology you can trust to help you across the places where you write the most. And now Grammarly helps you do even more. With one click, you can easily brainstorm, rewrite, and reply with suggestions based on your context and goals so you can improve productivity for you and your teams. Need to get through emails quicker? Grammarly can help you summarize your emails and provide suggestions on how to reply in seconds. No one likes scrolling through a million emails and trying to figure out how do I word this response? I got to draft up an email today. Grammarly can certainly help you make your day-to-day -day office work much more simple. Big presentation coming up. Let Grammarly create a personalized outline to get you organized so you can transform your ideas into a compelling presentation. No one wants a non-compelling presentation, so go and Start right now by going to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download for free today. That's Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at Prize Picks. Go check out Prize Picks right now because they're the single best place to go and play daily fantasy sports. And it's the way it should be. It's just you against the projections. There's no expert. There's no you know million lineups that you're up against in some sort of league or whatever it might be. It's just you and the projections. All you gotta do is pick more or less on stat projections for two to six players on a given night and watch the winnings roll in. If you get all six right on an entry, you can win up to 25 times your money. That's pretty sweet. Of course, they have the specials league, which allows you to combine projections and picks from two different sports on a given night. So maybe you have the, you know, the Detroit Lions and whoever plays for the Detroit Lions, Jared Goff's playing for them. Maybe you have, you know, completed passes plus points for a guy who's playing in the NBA that night. That's a thing you can do on your entry with prize picks. Of course, they also have their reboot policy. If a player gets hurt in the first half and doesn't come back for the second, that player's rebooted, meaning prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy go to prizepicks.com slash locked in nba use the code locked in nba for a first deposit match to 100 bucks that's prizepicks.com slash locked on nba code locked in nba for a first deposit match to 100 bucks with prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy All right, we continue on here with, we can continue, carry on, continue, whatever the word I'm looking for. We'll blend words, who cares? Uh, it's your mailbag show. We're digging into more of your questions. Thanks to those of you who sent them in. Again, the Discord's the place to be to get your questions answered for sure on the podcast. And uh, apologies, I know there's lots of questions that came in. I probably won't get to all of them today. I have a big bunch of them in the rundown here today, but I might not get to all of them. But those of you who sent them in, you're the true heroes. Let's go to this question from Loquacious Drew, who asks, what season do you anticipate the Raptors to exit this rebuild slash retool? First of all, I think it is probably important to kind of try to define what it is this team's doing. I've said it before. I said it during the Pascal Siakam live reaction show. I don't think this is a rebuild in the sort of traditional definition of the word. To me, what a rebuild means is you strip everything down to the studs and you like kind of try to lose games to play the draft lottery game for however long it's going to take for you to get your dude who you build your whole team around. That, to me, is what a rebuild is. I don't think that's what's happening with the Toronto Raptors. And I know lots of folks just, like, they see games being losses and are like, oh, time to tank now. Tank, tank, tank. I just, I don't think 
we're going to see this team intentionally try to lose basketball games this year, next year, any year in the future. I don't think they're going to try to go and contend for Cooper Flag next year because they already have their dude. They have Scotty Barnes. They have very clearly said, we think this guy's our dude, and now is the time to build a team around him and not strip it down further to the studs. Yeah, you might see trades of Bruce Brown or Gary Trent Jr. to kind of reshuffle the decks a little bit, get a little bit more in terms of you know future cost certainty or uh, you know young players and picks or whatever it might be. But I don't think we're going to see them move any of the core elements that make this team work right now. And I think with Scotty Barnes going into year four, 18 months away from what will presumably be a rookie max extension, you don't have the luxury of playing the lottery game for three, four, five years. You also don't have to play the lottery game for three, four, five years. And so I, I don't think this is a rebuild. I think this is, again, a recentering. And I think it's kind of, a, all right, we're back to sort of, it's not square one. We're at like square two or three, and we're trying to build up to square 10, if that makes any sense at all. Either way, I think as far as when I anticipate them to kind of burst out of this phase and into sort of a competitive window. I think it could happen as soon as 2025, 26 Scotty Barnes is fifth year. I don't think that's off the table. You're going to have Emmanuel quickly will be 26. Then RJ Barrett will be 25. Scotty will be 24. That core will be kind of moving into its prime. And, you know, Scotty Barnes is already pretty bloody awesome. You would assume 18 more months of development. Plus we'll have him in an even better place for that 25, 26 season. I also anticipate that at some point there's going to be some kind of additive trade where they use these extra picks they've collected from the Pascal trade, from you know a Bruce Brown trade, if that happens, whatever it might be, and parlay that into a player who helps the team now. And I think that's just kind of the mindset they have to have. They can't go spinning their wheels for three, four, five seasons waiting to get more lottery luck to help Scotty Barnes. Like they got their dudes right now. Emmanuel quickly. I think they project as being like a number two or number three on this team long term. Uh, you know, RJ Barrett, they very seemingly have him in the big plans for the future. And man, oh man, is even awesome and warranting that belief. I think they kind of have the hard part figured out. Obviously, if you can add another legit high end core piece, no one's going to complain about that. But I do think it's far more likely that comes via trade than it comes via the draft, just simply because time is not on their side. They don't have a high pick this year. Even if they finish with the sixth lowest lottery odds, which everyone's like, keep the pick, keep the pick. Even if you do everything to keep the pick and try hard as you might to be that number six team, you're not going to be one of the five worst teams. That's just those teams are awful, awful, awful bad. It's going to be you and the Grizzlies, maybe a couple other teams that fall off as the season goes along, kind of in the running for that sixth spot in the draft lottery. The Raptors only have a 45% chance of keeping their pick if that happens. And so they're not really going to be banking on high-end picks. This draft, of course, is not exactly rich with people that the scouts are very excited about at the top of the draft anyway. And so I don't think you can bank on getting a blue chipper in the door who's going to be ready to go in a year or two in this year's draft. By the time you're at next year's draft, again, Scotty Barnes will be going into year five the following season. You're running out of time here to wait for guys that you take in the draft to turn into legitimate core pieces. It's the timeline's just a little bit off. It's just the way it is. The draft takes usually three, four, five years to actually bear fruit and winning style players who can pair along with a group that's trying to win. And so I, I think that next move is going to come via trade. And that is where the answer to this question comes is it's hard to answer that, right? 
if they go and make a big swing in the offseason with these extra picks they have and get someone in the door who helps them go and be competitive next season, then you could see it be kind of an accelerated thing where they're fighting for a top six seed as early as next year, depending on the type of player they go and land. You know, they're going to have cap space. They're going to have some tools at their disposal to go and try to find somebody. Maybe a player shakes loose after a playoff flameout by some team that changes the sort of calculus here and changes the timeline. Because if we know anything about this Raptors front office, they're opportunistic and will strike when the iron's hot, when the opportunity's there to go and improve the team. So I think it's a hard thing to, you know, really pin down. But I would guess that by the time 2025, 26 comes around, the quickly Barrett Barnes trio will be so good and have developed to a point in their trajectories and arcs as players to the point where they are just like a very obviously competitive team. I think that's probably the year that you kind of shoot out of this retooling, recentering thing, but it could happen sooner depending on how they play with these picks, right? They have extra picks now and in the future from the Siakam trade, and that could totally change the timeline. We just have no way of predicting that, but that is kind of where I'm at on this. It's a 25, 26 feels like the safe guess, but we'll see. It could be accelerated as well. We got a couple more questions here. Let's get into a quick one here. This one comes from Matt T asking, if you could bring back one role player in Raptors history to help the current team, who would you pick? And I always love questions like this. I usually have like a stable of kind of answers for, you know, old role player guys I really like who I'd like to see on the Raptors. You know, I think, for example, Patrick Patterson always comes to mind. Oh, like a very versatile defensive four who can slide down and play a small ball five can make a little bit of an extra play off the bounce, although not really, can hit his threes at a pretty you know reasonable rate, defend the best opposing player on the other team for stretches. I think Patrick Patterson goes a long way. Maybe he doesn't quite have the high-end talent you'd want on a team like this to kind of elevate things. He's maybe more of a final piece on a really good team that kind of ties lineups together, sort of like a tall Bruce Brown, honestly, in some ways. The peak Patrick Patterson was very much that kind of player. So I don't know if he's the exact answer right now. Of course, this team needs a little bit more beef and size. He was tall. I don't know if Patrick Patterson necessarily was like a beefy guy who was bringing that kind of juice. And so maybe he's not the right answer. I think for me, it comes down to two guys. And another one of them is a guy I always kind of lean on for questions like this. Anthony Parker was just like a perfect role player. Shot really well from three. Very stout, strong wing defender. Maybe a little small for what the Raptors need right now. He was 6'6", you know, they're about 6'7". But I think you slide him in at the two or the three next to RJ on the wings. You got Scotty, you got IQ, you got Pirtle. You're kind of cooking with something there. But I think my real answer here is Doug Christie. Doug Christie never gets his due as a really good Toronto Raptor. I think he still probably comes in around as like a top 20 Raptor of all time. Uh, For a very long time, led the franchise in steals, was hitting threes at a pretty high rate well before that was a thing that we realized was extremely valuable. Really excellent wing defender. He might have made an all-defense team at one point or another, maybe with the Kings. Uh, Doug Christie, to me, you throw Doug Christie at the wing on this team as sort of a large two who can defend basically anybody at the one, two, or three. RJ, with his rebounding and his beef and bulk playing at the three with Scotty and IQ and Jakob Pertl. Man, that would be pretty sweet. Doug Christie's my answer. He would be a super fun role player to bring back and toss into this mix. We'll come back on the other side, round it out with a couple more questions about uh, you know the, the goals from here to the end of the season. IQ versus RJ, uh, offense versus defense, all that. We'll try to do a little rapid fire to close out the show. Coming up in just one second. 
Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Hungry Root. Trying to eat a little healthier in 2024, Hungry Root is here to rescue you from short-lived resolutions by making meal planning easy and nutritious. You can build healthy habits that won't disappear by February with Hungry Root. Whether you're braving the cold or dealing with crowds, grocery shopping this time of year is the absolute worst. No one likes to go to the store when it's like sloppy and snowy and wet pushing a cart through that no thank you why not stay at home and let hungry root handle it with hungry root you can kickstart a week of healthy eating and get groceries delivered right to your door all you got to do is take a fun short quiz and hungry root will get to know you your goals and how you like to eat they'll ask what flavors you like what kitchen appliances you use on the regular and so much more and then they'll keep your needs and preferences top of mind and start building your cart with delicious recipes and all your grocery needs for the week that is pretty sweet right now hunger root is offering nb locked in nba channel listeners 40 percent off your first delivery and free veggies for life free veggies for life that's huge never having to go peruse the produce section feel up the peppers is this one soft or is this one firm what am i doing here no they will just do it for you go to hungryroot.com slash locked on get 40 percent off your first delivery and get your free veggies for life that's hungryroot.com slash locked on don't forget to use our link so they know that we sent you all right, rounding out the show here on your Thursday. Just a heads up, this will be your last episode coming out for this week. I am taking a day off tomorrow because I'm moving next week. New studio, very exciting times. Uh, but either way, this will be your last show for the week. Again, you can go back and listen to the back catalog from this week as well. Talked about feelings with Katie on Wednesday. We talked about a nasty game against the Grizzlies and the Knicks loss on Tuesday and Monday. Big V was long Monday. Uh, lots of good stuff for you to go and peruse from the previous few days this week. If you're finding yourself starved for content, on your Friday. Uh, also, you can go to Lockdown Sports Today 24-7 and get all of your national shows and local shows covering the biggest stories on a 24-7 loop over on that channel on YouTube as well. All right. A few questions to get to here. Let's try to rattle them off quicker, and I will uh, try to keep myself brief and uh, breezy on these answers. This one comes from Duncan asking, would you, the Raptors, would you rather the Raptors fully dive into being an offensive juggernaut with no defense or be happy with the offense where it's at and the defense begin to develop more of an identity? Uh, this is a tough one because typically I do skew towards liking defense. I think defense is an underappreciated art and the teams that do it really well, I tend to quite enjoy watching. And it was really one of my favorite things about the Toronto Raptors of, say, 2019-20, where the Raptors' offense was okay, their defense was absolutely devastating, and it made that team, to me, a whole lot of fun to watch. You know, I get just as much joy out of watching a team completely shut down an opposing squad in crunch time and kind of use their defense as a crunch time weapon as I do a team that, you know, sizes up a team and scores with ease. Obviously, it's nice to be able to score with ease. And, you know, the NBA is skewing more towards offense being the driver of positive play. I'm still a little sicko for good defense, though. That said, considering where we've been with this team, with the offense having been so moribund for years, I think I'd be all right with a couple of years of, like, Sacramento Kings ball, where they play just kind of this free-flowing Happy go lucky. We're going to score a million points, give up a million points, have a great time while we're at work type of thing. I'd be fine with that for the next couple of seasons, honestly. Um, I don't know if they have the defensive personnel on hand to even really have an awesome defense. I think there are pieces. I think quickly is a very nice rotational defender with some on ball chops. I think, you know, Yaka Pirtle is a perfectly cromulent rim protector. Not amazing, not bad though. And I think Scotty Barnes as that sort of backline 
rim protector is, you know, he's got the potential to be one of the better defenders in the NBA. So it's not like they don't have any pieces for, for good defense here, but I do think with the way they play with Darko ball taking hold the way that they, when I think they have sort of a set roster where they know who's playing, how they're playing with one another. I do think they have a lot of offensive upside, even with just this group. I think they have a chance to score pretty well. Once Yaka Pirtle's back in the mix, greasing them wheels, but yeah, for now, I can live with, all right, we're going to have like a top 10 offense, but the defense will be bottom five and that's whatever. It's lots of teams make their way doing that. And yeah, it doesn't have super high upside in the playoffs. I'm not worried about playoff upside just yet. You can go nag yourself a wing defender or a rim protector or whatever it might be when you're more in a ready time to go and compete for actual stuff in the playoffs. For now, score some buckets, have some fun, and uh, do some cool passes and hit some threes. And I feel like that would be kind of all right for the next year, year and a half, something like that. Good question, Duncan. Let's go to the next question here. This one comes from our pal Freddie Revis, who is a a longtime question asker on the podcast from the Confederacy of Dunks Pod, uh, one of my favorite pods, to join as a guest. He asks, fans were rightfully excited about IQ, but is there a chance that RJ is the better player? I guess let me first kind of stop the discourse. And I'm not saying Freddie's doing this because Freddie's a thoughtful guy, but we simply need to stop with the sort of constant comparing of guys, even within the the same team. It, It just, it's not a fun way to talk about basketball. I can't imagine how this is fun for anybody where you end up because of like a desire to be right or desire to have your personal tastes, you know, fed, that you need to sort of stack guys on a team up and say, this guy's actually better than this guy. Like, who cares, man? If they're good, they're good. If they fit well together, they fit well together. If the team's winning, the team's winning. Who cares what the actual hierarchy is? I've already seen this a little bit kind of percolating with, oh, RJ's actually better than Scotty. And it's like, well, one, that's wrong. And two, like, who cares? Like, why is this a thing we have to do two weeks into having a new cool thing on the team? It's just... It's very silly to me. And again, I'm not saying Freddie's doing this. I think it's actually a pretty interesting question. Um, but that's just a different gripe that I'm kind of getting across. So with this one, with the IQ thing, I do think just the style of player that IQ is, is probably more conducive to driving positive play, which to me, this is just my personal sort of way of viewing it. I view a quote unquote better player as being a player who drives positive play more effectively than another player. Uh, you know, obviously that's maybe more of a basketball player versus Hooper argument. Uh, and we don't got to get into that discourse, but that's kind of how I view things. If you're a player who, when you're on the floor, your team wins a bunch of minutes and it's like a consistent thing you can track, then I think you're probably a pretty excellent player. You know, this is why I continue to think Nikola Jokic is like the best because when he's on the floor, the Nuggets paced teams. And when he's not, there's a very clear lack of Nikola Jokic and they no longer paced teams. It's just kind of the way it is. Um, obviously there's lots of context with all of this and, you know, every team is different and built and the constructions are all over the place and, and, you know, kind of inform this conversation quite a bit, but yeah, I I am a a believer that if you drive positive play, that makes you a good player. So when it comes to quickly and RJ, I do think IQ, the sort of spacing movement, shooting, you know, rim, rim pressuring, you know, floater, having playmaking point guard is probably more of a driver of positive play than the slashing wing type who kind of has suspect defense. Obviously, if RJ Barrett's going to be like a 65% true shooting guy, there's a conversation here because he just seemingly can't miss inside the arc. It's pretty awesome. 
Um, but I think in general, the type of player IQ is in today's NBA is probably a more valuable type of player. Um, you know, obviously things have not gone great for IQ on the scoring end of things of late. It's been a little bit up and down. It's a little bit, a little bit of Rocky. Like a lot of that's tied to Jakob Pertl. Like a lot of it's also tied to sort of getting acclimatized to the role that is being a lead guard. And you would imagine that that acclimatization period is a lot harder to navigate when the guy who makes your life the easiest on the floor in Jakob Pertl has not been available for most of your time on your new basketball team. Uh, I'm not worried at all. I think when Yak's available, him and IQ have great chemistry. I think Yak opens up a whole lot for IQ as far as his movement shooting goes. And I think, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a growing period, right? It's, he's got to build some strength. He's got to get better scoring through contact. This is all development stuff that you can work on in the off season and things like that. I think the style of player IQ in the modern NBA is a little bit more valuable than what RJ does, but uh, you know, I'm open to being wrong on this. And if RJ turns out to be a better player than IQ, I'm not going to complain. That'll be cool as well. Both guys rock. And I think that, you know, can just be kind of the way we look at it. Um, RJ, I think the way he's played has been a little bit of found money and the the way he's adapted to the system and pared down his, his focus as a player and is just really kind of doing things that he does extremely well and doing them a lot. That's fantastic. I do think IQ, though, is sort of like an all-encompassing impact on winning guy probably has a little more upside. Let's uh, quickly round out with this question from James Sorensen asking, would it be worth for the Raptors to pursue Herb Jones as part of any additional moves they make before the deadline? His perimeter defense is sorely needed, but it will negatively impact Grady's role. I think we got to stop just with the Herb Jones fantasies for now. I don't think Herb Jones is getting traded in season. Mark Stein reported that he's not going to get traded in season. Like, I think we can put that to rest. It was an interesting rumor that flew around there a little bit uh, via our pal Matt Moore, but, you know, rumors fly. And I just, I don't think that one ever made a ton of sense as like a trade that will happen right away. I think Herb Jones is awesome. And the Pelicans know that. And the Pelicans are good. And the Pelicans also don't have to worry about Trey Murphy getting expensive for 18 more months. I think the Herb Jones thing might be a bridge that gets crossed down the line. And if that's the case, 1000%, he's someone the Raptors should be doggedly pursuing absolutely but i don't think the pelicans are going to move him before the trade deadline it doesn't make any sense they just got under the tax by making the kyra lewis move and they are in a fine spot for now off season maybe things change the summer after that absolutely things change as trey murphy gets expensive the second apron continues to make its crush on the league and you know financial decisions are gonna have to be made you know, in general, I think the Raptors, if they're going to have cap space, they should be taking advantage of spots where teams have to offload players for financial and second apron reasons. That's, I think, a pretty reasonable argument for their move to have cap space being a good move for this summer is, you know, things are going to shake loose. The Wolves, for example, like I'm not saying they're going to go trade for Carl Anthony Towns, but that becomes a possibility if they flame out in the playoffs and they need to go cut money. And, you know, you're probably not going to get max value back for a Carl Anthony Towns in the offseason after a playoff flame out like that becomes an option. Potentially, again, this is no reporting or anything like that. It's just saying names and like just drawing two to two and two together. But, um, yeah, I, I think Herb Jones 100 percent will be awesome. And if you brought in Herb Jones and it impacted Grady's minutes, I don't think that matters. I think that's fine. Also, there's room for multiple wing players to play basketball on a basketball team. And if you had Herb Jones among your top five. There's still plenty of bench minutes for a Grady Dick to play, and I think that is a, is a perfectly fine way to ease him in. Have him play 15, 20 minutes off the bench while also having Herb Jones. Hell, 
having Herb Jones guard next to Grady Dick in this fantasy world we've concocted will be pretty awesome. No, not many better ways to insulate a maybe porous wing defender and Grady Dick by pairing him next to the least porous of all the wing defenders, arguably in Herb Jones. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll see. I, I do think a move like this is something they'll have their, have on their radar and keep tabs on. If, if a guy like Herb Jones becomes available, these sort of, three and d wing types who don't really come around all that often as the raptors well know having just traded one of them away uh after the whole league was like we want that guy because no one has these guys so we'll see but yeah herb jones that type of player 100 the type of dude the raptors should be after and if the, they could make a trade for him before the deadline you a thousand percent do it i think and you deal with the rotational ramifications elsewhere down the line and uh, you don't worry, think too much about it. Don't lose any sleep. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions. If I didn't get to your questions, I apologize. There's only so much time in the day. We will work through the backlog and continue to get through more mailbag questions as we have more off days coming up. This felt like a perfect time. Third of three off days. It's digging into the mail. So uh, thank you everyone for sending them in. And we appreciate it very, very much. Of course, over here at Locked on Raptors HQ. You can, uh, again, find the show for free. Wherever you get your podcasts, follow, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. We're on YouTube. Subscribe there. Hit the notification bell. All that jazz. And we will speak to you again on Monday from a brand new studio in my new house. Very excited to talk to you from there on Monday. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out. We'll talk to you then. And have a lovely weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>